0: And now here's Heather and Jeff. Hey, everybody! Welcome to Renegade Rules. Here's part two of the three-part interview. Uh, enjoy. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Yeah,
1: it's. I think that when I talk with groups of parents and teachers, the ones, the ideas that I I throw at them can be pretty earth-shaking, but they, the ones that they really struggle with are just simple um, simple ideas of, yes, I need to allow the child to experience sadness or experience being mad and not trying to fix it all so quickly, giving the kids coping skills for how can you express this feeling and not trying to make the feeling go away
0: or not mm-hmm. telling
1: them you don't really feel that way. Um so what are some particular instances with, with adoptive families where this is even heightened and exacerbated? For example, I have a chapter called um, I Hate You is Nothing Personal mm-hmm. because, you know, when a child says that, we start thinking, ah, you know, so I might hope oh. But it's, it's just that the child's mad. They can't get their way at that moment. They want a second cookie or, or whatever it is with the, the really young kids. But the, um, I know you don't feel that way, deep down you love me, and contradicting that feeling really doesn't help much. Um, and also to know it's really not all about you, it's about them. So how, um, how is this even heightened in the adoptive family, such as, um, if you're saying you're not even my real mom anyway, I don't have to listen to you, kinds of words will start coming out even in the preschool years. So yes. what advice do you have there?
2: Well, I, I think you're right. I think it is a really challenging issue, and and there is some vulnerability for adopted parents. Um, I think th- that when their child says that they've failed, or when their child says that they hate them, which isn't is even less, which is even more common in the teen years. You know that that those kinds of conversations happen, and so either the parent will do what you're describing, which is and I know you don't really hate me, you know they'll sort of um, go go try to combat it, or they'll believe it, and. They, they will actually come in to me and say, I really think i failed. She told, she, she told me yesterday that I've, I've failed, you know, and, and, um, and I think it's a pretty traumatic experience for adoptive parents, and, and it's just so, you know, they're so immersed in it every day that it's just hard to um, keep that perspective of, you, you know, of course teens say a lot of things, and that's the whole point of teenhood is that the, 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 that the emotions are really intense, and um, mm-hmm. I think the other challenge with um, with adoptive parents and all parents trying to fix things, but particularly in the teen years, is that the teen derives certain meaning from that. So if the teen talks about, let's say, his or her feelings about self-loathing or his or her feelings about, you know, that she doesn't feel attractive or that she doesn't feel like she fits in or she doesn't feel loved, I mean, the feelings can be pretty strong. And when the parent, and I, I describe this as a but-sweetie, um, Thing that happens when the parent says, but sweetie, you're so prettier, but sweetie, look how many people love you. Do you see how much you're, you know, and, and they try to basically, they end up sort of in a debate with, with this teen. The teen gets a message that not only do they, not, does the parent not understand them, but the parent cannot tolerate their pain. So, <laughs> um, so, so don't the show teen, it
1: because they don't want to hear it.
2: Exactly. They can't take it. They can't take, they can't handle it. And so the teen not necessarily consciously, but the teen is thinking, oh, Okay, well if she's reacting this strongly to this, I'm definitely not gonna <laughs> tell, tell her, her that I <laughs> you know, want to search or that I really, you know, did some things that are really gonna affect her. So, um, they automatically close in and I, I think it's it's a big issue because um often adopted parents will describe um they'll ask me how they can show their their child or teen that they don't need to be protected you know how can i tell her that she doesn't need to protect me and i understand about the birth mom and i understand i you know and i i totally um you know i totally support all that stuff and but you know the truth is uh, we uh, all of us as parents do end up sending messages mixed messages and i think that that's a particularly challenging area for um for adoptive families yeah
1: i just have to share a little um Um, I hate you story that happened last week to me and this is with my biological child who we were reading a, a nice little story about a dog for bedtime story but it was late and he was um had had a grouchy day and he definitely needed to go to sleep and so I stuck the bookmark in and put the book away and he wanted more story um it was a school night and he had to go to sleep so I just stopped reading and his reaction which was I don't even want to live in this house anymore.
0: You're evil. You're an evil mother, and I won't live in this family anymore.
1: (laughs) And I just thought, um, you know, it was nothing personal at all. I didn't mind particularly hearing those words because I knew he was overtired already, and I knew he was frustrated and angry with me. And those are the big words you can think of to say. You know they're going to get your parent in the gut. Um, to be told you're evil and that you don't want to live in this family anymore. Um, But I also knew he'd fall asleep within seconds, Uh which he did. And so I don't know, maybe it's because I threw some zingers at my own parents um, as a kid, but I know that when kids are in that state of mind, they don't mean it. And it's actually the last thing they really want because they're so distressed and out of control. They really want to make sure that that parent will be there for them. But as you say, Katie, it's can this parent take this? It's almost a test. I've, I'm going to throw my worst at you. Will mm-hmm. you still be there for me in the morning when I wake up? And so I, all I said to him was good night and and turn the light off. So right. I, I didn't. It didn't bother me. But I think if I were in the position of this child. Um, know he came out of my body because i was there and i watched it happen <laughs> but if he were an adopted child and he said those things to me i have a feeling it would get me so much deeper and 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 mine all those vulnerabilities of well maybe i'm not the right parent for him and Absolutely. some days i don't feel i am but i know he's the best <laughs> he's the, the one i've got so we have to cope with each other i think yes. just under my, it just undermines. it just it's hard enough to take those words anyway, but then you add on the layers of adoption issues for both parent and kid. They're both going to react, and it's going to just stir up the mix.
0: Heather, they Heather, are, uh, and you know, oh, oh, when, 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 when you jam- told him, when you told him good night, did you use the, the Heather podcast voice, or was it, or was it like the, the the mom voice? What 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 tone did the good Was it just a regular good night? Or <laughs>
1: well, to be honest, and, and he's not here right now. He's at school, but um, so he won't overhear me. But I just, I was trying very hard not to giggle. <laughs> because <laughs> that would have been the wrong message, you know? No, somebody yeah. yeah. that wouldn't have been the way to yeah, <laughs> giggle at them. So I was, I was I think I, I came across pretty calm because I was trying, trying not... to scurry down the hall, close the door, and tell <laughs> my husband who's <laughs> the funniest thing.
0: <laughs> that's awesome. But that's
1: because I feel really confident that the things they say in a heated, are not really what they mean when they mean something deeply it usually comes out at a different time it's not that i discount the words the child says but it's all in the timing and if they're really mad usually what we say when we we're really mad there may be some element of truth down there deep but not not the
0: truth that really matters. Yeah, you know. No, and yeah. I I I think this, there's a lot of connection here to to a lot of our early learning l- listeners, our our caregivers and and teachers because I know a lot of them hear these kind of words from from children in their care or in their classrooms and and from conversations with people sometimes those words hurt more than they would coming, f- coming from a biological child just because i i i'm I'm not sure of the dynamic there, but i I think there's there's some some connection because you know you're spending so much time and you're you're trying to create create an intentional environment and you're 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 trying not to be the person that they hate and then they hate you and it 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 cuts it cuts deep for some people
2: absolutely and there's a there's a story that I can share too where I also thought about what it would be like to be an adoptive parent and have, that, and have this same situation happen, which was when my son was young. And he just talked about di- animated movies a lot, so it just would come up a lot in whatever he said. Mm-hmm. So um, when he, there was a period where when he would get mad at me, he would say that I'm like mother. I can't remember the exact, but Mother Golfo or whomever the one, Rapunzel's scary mother <laughs> or witch mother.
1: <laughs> oh, that's and, a nice compliment.
2: Yeah, I know, I know, and he say, "You're like Mother Golfo," <laughs> and um, and he said it for a while, actually, and and I, I I actually thought, wow, if I was an adoptive parent, I just would find this devastating, <laughs> and I even asked uh, a group of adopted parents that I was talking with that, in a workshop. I said, well, "How would you take this? How would you take it if your son said you're like Mother Golfo?" And they said, "Absolutely, we would, we would, you know, we would think that we failed. Oh, I failed." Uh-huh. I failed at this, I said I could do it, and I can't do it. i failed and and you know it's just it's 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 difficult there There was another piece I wanted to mention too about um which is specific to the teens um in terms of the things that they say and when to take it on and when to think of it in a different way and and one of the things that the teens do, and I think I would say it's an issue with adoption because in adoption there uh, a lot of adoptees often feel various levels of humiliation and so the issue of saving face is a really big one so when so when they get consequence or when they you know their their parent says something that they don't like or tells them to do something they to save face they will say something back or they will act like they're really angry or they will storm off or something but um in secret, they really do know that it was the right thing, and by the time they get to me, they're not really acting that way. And sometimes they even giggle a little bit. Yeah, she grounded me all weekend because I came home. Blah blah, blah you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, but so I think a lot of it is the saving face thing. You know, if your son had said, "Okay, mommy, I love you," that would have been. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's it just sometimes saving face can kind of make sense that you know they don't want to seem. um too young, too compliant, too easy.
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. And saving face is actually a pretty huge thing all through childhood, but I think it gets even stronger in, in the, as the kids get older, as you say, in the teen years. There's a lot of uh, ways that, um, particularly boys, but not, not all boys, uh, really don't like to be embarrassed, and they, they do anything, their behavior, or say anything to save face and not be... Um, appear to be ridiculous or humiliated.
0: Are are you supposed to outgrow that?
1: Oh, yeah, now we're all calm, cool, and collected. Right. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
1: Uh, Can you talk a little bit about what you call um, setting adoption-sensitive limits? I think the whole topic of limit setting is a tricky balance for parents of kids of any age, but you're talking specifically about setting limits that you call adoption sensitive. Can you describe that a little bit? So there, there are
2: a few things that I think are specific to adopted teens that is just even more important
1: for uh, um,
2: adoptive parents to try to steer clear of. And, um, you know, there are a lot of setting limits is very challenging anyway, and so definitely a lot of that is in the book. Um, that would be kind of hopefully helpful in general. But there are a few things. One is negotiating um, that, um that it's really important for adoptive parents not to put themselves in the position of negotiating with their teen, because when they do that, first of all, the teen sort of feels, um, the teen actually feels a little bit like uh, they're sort of begging for something. And that's not a good feeling for an adoptee, because I think adoptees are already in a position of feeling like they had to beg for something that everyone else got automatically and so um it's not great to to sort of try to make some side of, kind of deal with the teen also i think an even more important thing is that in order for adopted teens to feel a sense of love and belonging which is really what most what adopted parents want and all parents they really need to respect their parents and if they don't respect them then then the, they're not really going to trust that their parents can do the hard thing that their parents can be the bad guy that their parents can um, go up against them if they need to. And, you know, even if it means that they're hated for a minute or even if it means that they're disconnected for a minute, you know, and if they aren't sure that their parents can do that, they feel unsafe. And when they feel unsafe, they can't really access their feelings of love and belonging because love only happens. I mean, love is something that compared to survival and compared to basic safety, is it's secondary. And, you know, so when parents jump to trying to connect in a love, loving sort of Way, but then their child doesn't respect them. It's not going to go anywhere, and in fact, it can make things worse. Um, so, when a when a teen comes into my office and says, um, "I don't respect them," I know I know that it's that's the first place to start is what is what is going on, what is that about, and what can we do to to address that? Because, and I don't start with whether they love
1: whether you know he
2: or she loves the parents, whether the parents love him or you know that that's it's, We can't even get there yet.
1: So just to put in this into an example, um, I, uh, the parents might be saying things like, "Well, I love you, sweetie," uh, and be nice, d- say nice things, trying to give them that sense of love and belonging. But what the kid might need is, if the parent says, "If you take the car without my permission, you're grounded for the week," or you know whatever the thing is, and then they they stick to it or they backpedal. It's that it's like setting a limit on a three-year-old, um, you know. You, you set the limit and then as soon as they know we're not getting a candy bar at the checkout, but then they wheedle and cry for five minutes and then you give in, that's eroding trust. It's not being nice to the kid. It's, you've set a limit. You need to think carefully before you set the limit so that it's a limit you actually want to uphold. But once you set a limit that you think is a reasonable one, that you need to um, keep with that limit because every time you break it, they know, they're watching, and their trust, and as you call it, respect, goes down and down and down until they're starting to feel unsafe because kids want to feel that they can rely on you to be the parent, not you to be their best friend. They have best friends or they can find some friends, but they need you to be that parent, which sometimes means they won't like you.
2: Yeah, and I think I think another thing that comes up, too, um, is that – when a parent does give a consequence, like okay, you got all F's, then you're grounded this weekend until the grades come up, or whatever the case, they'll sometimes also say, "I love you," I, they'll say, "I still love you, but look, you're grounded for you know however long." And um, and I've I've strongly encouraged adoptive parents not to say, not to mix love and limits. It is not the time to um, to express that. First of all, every child or every teen I've ever known knows that their parents love them, so that is not a question. Mm-hmm. It's it's just never a question. And so, you know, so um to add that feels unnecessary. But also it, it makes the adoptive parent it it makes it seem like the adoptive parent feels guilty about setting a limit, which I think undermines their authority. So, you know, teens, as you know, um, Heather, you know, kids and teens are so smart. They really just don't miss that much. Even if they can't put words to it, they see a lot. And And, you know, that is what adopted teens can sense when their parent says, here's the punishment, but look, I love you, and you know that. They can tell that the parent is not totally comfortable being the authority.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of parents aren't. But what you're saying is learn how to present an image (laughs) that you are comfortable in this authority and that as you you parent, you will gain that confidence that will become true confidence.
2: And at least, I mean, at least if it's, even if it's not a full-blown limit, you know, it doesn't have to start with, you know, grounding and other, you know, extreme things. Even if it's just calling them on their behavior, you know, even just kind of including some expectations, certain expectations in in the room is important, you know. So when the teen says something really snarky, you know, that the parent can say, I don't like your tone. It's not that they have to conjure up a quick consequence or, you know, you know, punish for everything. Go to jail now, yes yeah yeah but just just to call them on it
1: Mm -hmm. yeah and and not just being walked over
0: and we'll be back next week with the wrap-up of this series of uh, uh, interview the wrap-up of this three-part interview that's what i'm trying to say thanks for listening bye bye thanks for listening we'll be back next week with another episode Music by Alexander Shoemaker. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.